Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I am Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton. Continuing uh, his vacation through this 4th of July week, we are back in studio. Nice long weekend for 4th of July Independence Day holiday. Hope everyone had a very relaxing, fun time with friends and family over the past uh, few days. Four-day holiday for us. Got a very special co-host with us in studio today, Merrill Hodge, former Pittsburgh Steeler, former Chicago Bear, longtime ESPN football analyst. He's the author of Find a Way, Three words that changed my life. The man knows about a lot. He's got an opinion on a lot. He is here in the flesh with us in Nashville, Tennessee today, Merrill. Good seeing you, man. Appreciate you doing this. It's good seeing you. I, I now know who I'm supposed to be today. So I'm yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. filling in. You're you're I'm the man. In, so I got my You're I the got, man today. I got big shoes to fill. You're the man today. Right. Yeah. You'll well, you'll I'm, do I'm a great job in Hutton's absence. I'm looking forward to getting into a number of big topics with you. We got some great guests in the show today as well. Our fearless leader, our founder, Clay Travis, will join us a little bit later, as well as Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me. I was on Don't At Me with Dan earlier this morning on the Outkick Network. So, so much to talk about throughout the show today, and we'll dive right into it. There's a lot of news over the weekend that we're going to get into as the show goes along. One bit of that news is uh, a headline that we have the first professional female athlete diagnosed with CTE. That athlete is Heather Anderson, Australian rules football player, um, died at 28 of suicide. Her family donated her brain to the Australian Sports Brain Bank, where researchers have now concluded that she had been suffering from CTE. So, Meryl, I throw this story at you because you may be the authority in terms of former football players that's done their research on this topic in regards to CTE. Now, for those that don't know, your career ended because of a brain injury while playing for the Chicago Bears and the lack of care that you received. You've talked about this a lot. It's not always necessarily the injury that's the problem. It's the care after the injury that's the problem. And another issue that you've brought up is Boston University and their research, which is tied to this report. Exactly. Well, I think there's, you know, this, there's a lot to unwrap here. Um, I think the, the first thing that people, um, it's, it's helpful for people to understand is, you know, what is, first of all, CTE from a, a scientific perspective. And this is a scientific fact. The best way to understand it is have to go read the literature, which I have done. I wrote a book about it, and I had to read all of the literature in order to do that. Um, I also had to have somebody that was a brilliant expert in the field, which was Dr. Cummings, who actually worked at Boston University at the time, to really help me understand science, um, what the scientific literature said, so forth and so on. How much did your experience, by the way, prompt you to research this and write this book? I'm assuming a lot. Well, I, I will tell you this. It was the death of Mike Webster because he was my roommate. Okay. Th- that, that triggered it. Another and, important and, and, thing to know. Yes, and I, I, and I am no different than 
I bet you 99.9% of the people that are listening or watching right now. Mike Webster, by the way, Steeler, offensive Steeler Hall line, of Famer, great um, Hall of Famer, yeah. By the way, um, and they did a movie um, called Concussion uh, based on what happened to Mike. And if you ever watched that movie, I'm going to let you think for a second, what did he die of? Everybody's out there probably going, hmm, well, uh, he died of CT in uh, football, right? Now, Mike Webster died of heart failure. Mike had, a, Mike had a stent in his heart. Mike had heart issues. Um, Michael also struggled with a lot of mental health issues in his family. Um, what Boston University um, did to him and preyed on him and his family is still one of the most egregious things I've ever seen done to a family. And that's what they do. They prey on people. Um, they're vultures. Um, this message and story that just came out, let me just tell you how incorrect it is from a journalistic perspective. Okay, The journalist in this one is disturbing because... You obviously didn't do your research because CTE is a tau pattern in an observation state. It is not a disease. And that is a scientific fact. If you go read the scientific literature, you try to um, uh, be skeptical of everybody who talks about this. That includes me. So do your research and go look at the scientific journals and read up on where this is. In fact, this was just stripped a year ago. There is no staging. Without staging in any disease, you cannot have symptoms. You can't have a disease. That has been established over and over and over again. Nobody has died of CTE. Nobody committed suicide because of CTE. And to share a message with people, it's deplorable and harmful what you're doing to people. Because when you have something that is a pattern, first of all, this the first professional lady that supposedly ever had CTE. Do you know how many people in the medical journal have the exact same pattern? never played a sport, never were around a sport, never even had any type of head trauma. You got patients as young as, or uh, you got um, patients in the in medical journal as young as three and six years old that have this exact same pattern. Right there, that eliminates sports, period. What has happened in Boston University, they have done something that is dangerous to science and medicine. They have created a hypothesis, and now they're biasly trying to make their hypothesis stand out. And if you do science correctly, um, that is not how you even get the correct answers. And people go, well, trust science, trust science. If you do science correctly, yes, trust science. What you can't trust is people. And anytime you ever hear this particular story on this, Boston University is always behind it. A red flag should fly immediately when you hear that. In fact, this is how serious this particular subject is. Anybody who's an MD, a doctor, if they were used, if they were, if they used this clinically, and said you have CT because of these symptoms, that is medical malpractice. You could sue that doctor. There is no doctor that could do that, and anybody that does do that is committing malpractice because of where it is from a scientific perspective. I mean, and there's so well, much stuff to know. Also, specifically attributing, you know, going back and seeing, okay, there's CTE here, signs of it in the brain after death or after suicide, and then making the connection. I, where I, I see it as being wrong is then immediately making the connection of, well, they died of suicide because of CTE. And that's that was atrocious. The, that, that was the that sole is, factor. That is absolutely that, atrocious but, but, to ever say it, that. But you know, Meryl, that's now the leap that's being made with people well, when they I hear about CTE right. because the way it's been sold to the, the public. Correct. And yeah, yeah. listen, I tell people all the time, it is easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. You know, people will go, well, where'd, I, people ask me that all the time. I go, where'd you hear it? Where'd you see it? Because I want to know where they got the information. And this is even considered in journalists. This, is, this happened to me when I wrote the book Brainwash. I had a journalist 
challenging me that's, that, that there's a cause and a link. The two most powerful words in science are cause and link. Now, in order to get a cause and a link, I mean, I can't even tell you how much research and work has to be done to get that. But once you do get it, that is the two most powerful things in science. Well, he's, it was a reporter that's doing a uh, report on my book. This is a reporter. This is somebody that has been writing on this for a decade, telling people that sports are causing CTE. You play football, you're going to get CTE. I was like, show me the scientific literature to support that. Just so you, because you said there's a link to that. I would love to know the scientific literature. If you show it to me, I read it, I'm going to pull my book off and shut my mouth, okay? Then you were talking about subconcussion. I'm going to send you that science fiction. That's made up by Boston University because they got exposed for their pants being pulled down because they said concussions cause CT. If you go back and look at the history, BU said concussions cause CT. Well, then they found people that had this pattern, never played, never had a concussion. They're like, oh, it's subconcussion. They made that up. And that is a made up thing. And the way, why reason it's made up, you have to have a threshold in order to measure something. There is no threshold that anyone can say, this particular blow affected my brain. It's guesswork. And there's scientific literature that talks about how it's misleading, poorly defined, therefore science fiction. So I sent him that paper. I wanted him to see that because he thought subconcussion was real. So I sent him that paper. Do you know what he sent me? Claiming it was scientific literature, claiming uh, a copy of the movie Concussion with yeah, Will Smith. Wait, that, that, that would actually probably <laughs> send you back just a DVD. It's, 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 this is my proof right here. Look at this compelling performance by Will Smith. This, this is why it's this real. This tells me you know the media. Yes. You know what he sent me? A Sports Illustrated article. Yeah. You got somebody, a journalist who. By the way, that's not just the media. That's ninety-eight well, percent of humans. Oh, oh, of the country. They, they I get see it. something or they hear something compelling. And without doing their own research, they believe, they believe it to it. be gospel. But here's what's disturbing. You are writing to thousands of people that are reading your stuff and believing your stuff, and you are so grossly incompetent. To share something like that is disturbing, and to say to things, the things that you say are disturbing. The one thing that I could tell you, everything I have just said, I could prove. I can show you, show you the scientific literature. I can hand it to you. I can direct you where to go read it, where to find it. That's why I wrote the book Brainwash, actually, because I know people aren't going to go look at scientific journals. I know that's challenging. I know it's hard. Listen, what I even did in this process is I went and cut brains. I mean, I went in, we did, we pulled brains out of buckets. We did um, autopsies, I mean, t you know, scientific work on opening up brains so that I could understand the processing behind this. That's how much I really felt like I had to, to do to learn it. Having Dr. Cummings help me through that process was, I mean, just was so eye-opening to me in all aspects of science, just how important science is and how hard it is, how long it takes you to get answers. And that is why it is in an observation state and there's no scientific literature anybody could pull up today that exists that can say there's a cause or a link from any contact sport to CTE. So let's tie this into current day issues. Okay. Tua Tungavailoa a year okay. ago. That, that was the national talking point about, you know, this guy was thrown back out there too quickly. Clearly he was concussed in the Buffalo game. He went back out there. The medical system or the protocols of the NFL failed him in some way. Merrill is someone where the protocols at the time certainly failed you based on your firsthand account of what happened right. when you suffered a concussion on a Monday night football game for the Chicago Bears. Tell us quickly what happened after you had that concussion because concussions are real. Yeah, we we know are. that. And we don't want it. And what is, what, I guess the, the question that would be, what is the solution for the NFL and how that was handled and where you saw missteps 
Obviously very different from your time playing, though. Well, I think this is important for everybody, more importantly for moms and dads. I care more about age 8 to 18 than I care about the National Football League because there's 1,900 some players there. 8 to 18, and there's 90% of our athletes are 8 to 18. Okay, the leading cause of head trauma in the entire country is tripping and falling. The most dangerous environment is your home. So this is more important for families and parents it is not about having a concussion. Listen, we want to try to avoid it the best we can. We implement all kinds of protocols. We play the game a certain way. In all sports, you try to do it a better, safer way. Doesn't mean you're going to avoid it. It's still going to happen. Nobody can say, I'm never going to trip or slip in the shower. Okay, That's impossible to say that. So avoiding head trauma is impossible. We want to minimize the best we can. However, isn't it better? I always tell people, you know what? Don't live in fear, you know. Be educated on what you're dealing with. You know, if you live by what you trust, by what you fear, it's going to be a lot more peaceful thing. So be empowered about care. That's the biggest problem with head trauma. It's about care. And there's a lot of things in umbrella care. The first most important aspect of head trauma, if it happens, is removal. Getting that person out of the environment it just happened and then getting the proper evaluation and the, having the proper tools to clear you before you return. So go on to Tua. What happened to Tua? Okay, when you look at the tool that is being used today with the National Football League, was the first tool ever used in the history of sports by the Pittsburgh Steelers that was created by Dr. Maroon and Dr. Lovell that got challenged by Chuck Knoll. In fact, without Chuck Knoll, we're not where we are today because he started this by getting Dr. Maroon to think of other tools to evaluate head trauma if it was complicated. We needed subjective and objective evaluations to help us with the process in a, in a situation that happened with Bubby Brister. So the first tool ever used was in 1991. It's called Impact. Um, I was part of the group of players that did that for the very first time in 1991. It was a pen and paper. The only thing that has gotten better, though the only thing that's improved, they've only improved, they went from pen and paper to a computer. So nothing has evolved in some 30 years. They're still using that tool, and that tool is just scientifically has proven is outdated. Its test reliability is good to about five days. The average return. Do you think to the tool play, failed to him in that, that instance? Just those, watching it on the tool, the tool failed him, and the doctors failed him. The combination failed him to return him back, saying that he was symptom free. Okay, and so in having bad tools, you got to clean that up. You have to have better tools. There's a tool that it's out there called Sportgate. Okay, it's, it's test reliability, and, you can, and, and all of this stuff is stuff that you need to go do your research on. It's test reliability goes up to months, if not years, as far as test reliability, cognitively, and it has a stability component. That is one of the best tools combined that you could possibly have. If, and then, I don't care what sport you're in, I don't care what athletic department you're a part of, you need to look at your tools and see if you are outdated. Because tools get outdated, things get evolved, things are better. And the National Football League is in, and that's just not that National Football League. Let's not just throw them under the bus in this aspect. One of the biggest role players in this is the NFLPA. Okay, they are a big role in this. They, they turn things down, they say no to things. They are, they are as, as liable as a National Football League. But the NFL keeps getting thrown under the bus when things don't grow up. That Tua situation, that's an NFLPA issue too. It's not just an NFL issue. And getting the proper tools out. Think of the brain operates everything. So cognitively, you have to look at retrograde and tyrograde, all the cognitive aspects. Vision, even though there's not a lot of science to vision, vision is a good thing to look at. And you have to have stability. 
If you don't use a stability tool and have a proper cognitive stability tool that the test reliability can go way beyond weeks, if not months, you're outdated and therefore you're guessworking returning your players. And the most important thing is making sure that that player is properly healed before they return. If you do that, you return back in a safer way, a safer way physically and mentally than before it happened. When we don't have proper tools, that's when the risk comes. And that's that pretty when the crazy to think about anything in medicine, but the 1991 was when that was instituted by Chuck Nolan. We're still right. using a lot of the same things. Maybe time to update that and not have issues like what we've been talking about. Another NFL PA issue is what's going on with sports gambling in the NFL. We're going to get to that yeah. <clears throat> a little bit later in the show because uh, I'm with you, I think, on this, Merrill, that this is overall a failing by the NFL Players Association in a lack of education with their players more than anything else. Now, it's on the professional as well to know the rules. They, some of these guys clearly didn't know that. We got official word about the four players suspended by the National Football League for gambling violations. We'll talk about that a little bit later. A lot going on at ESPN. Layoffs galore. Plus, are they talking out of both sides of their mouth when it comes to talking politics and what's allowed and what's not? Absolutely is the answer. We'll get into that more, but first... Dan Dockage, don't add him. He's coming up next. We are back. It is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Back with you on this Wednesday, post-4th of July celebration. Hope it was a great one for all of you. Jonathan Hutton will be back next week. Merrill Hodge is our special in-studio guest today. Dan Dockich is always a special guest whenever he joins us. Whenever he joins the Outkick Network, he's on every uh, weekday, 8 to 10 a.m. Central Time, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. He's on with us right now. Dan, good seeing you twice in one day, my man. How you doing? That's a thrill for me, and I appreciate you taking time with me this morning. Great stuff as always, and... uh, Happy to be here. I got a David Letterman studio going on in my house. I think it's 20 degrees below zero down here. So if you see me shivering, you'll know it's because, I don't know, my wife turned off the air conditioning way up or something. I don't know. I ben, don't know. You, you can always you know, put clothes on if you're cold. You can't take any more clothes off yeah. when you're hot. That's the way I look at That's it. That's so true. Far better to yeah. be the cold than hot. That's for sure. Uh, it feels like it's about 90 yeah. degrees in this studio in here today. So I'd, I'd rather swap places with you and yeah. be about 35 degrees. Um, at ESPN, it's always fascinating because it seems that, you know, Jimmy Pitaro says we're not a political organization and they've, they've told employees, let's, let's keep politics out of it. Let's keep it more in our lane with sports. Yet the moment uh, a political opinion is shared that sides with Disney by Sarah Spain or Chris Canty, that seems to be okay. There's just a lot of crickets. I don't hear a lot of support from ESPN anymore from that, but... There's also no public reprimand or suspension or anything else that's doled out. What, what do you make of all this, Dan, and your former employer and Merrill's former employer? Uh, I've always said, and I said this to ESPN when I left, look, I get it, man. Middle-aged white dude, there ain't much you can say around there. Some idiot, uh, whether she's a woman or man, she'd still be an idiot in Sarah Spain. And Chris Canty's just inconsequential. I worked with Chris one time on a show. He was... <laughs> he, we 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 did Mike and Mike together one day after the uh, the Monday after the NCAA tournament. 
uh, was picked. So Selection Monday, I guess. And my man was a really nice guy, but he's, he, he, there are certain dudes that are just viewed as inconsequential. They could say the sky is falling and people go, yeah, okay, great. And that's Canty. Uh, Sarah Spain, she's gotten away with this crap forever. I'll tell you what else. One of the things that I always thought and I always thought it was funny. There's a guy who ran ESPN named Norby Williamson. I like Norby. Norby's kind of a friend of mine. But one time, uh, I got a cause doing the Ohio State. I think it was Ohio State-Michigan game on Super Tuesday, which may have been the biggest basketball game, not Duke-Carolina of the year. And I get a call in my hotel room before about a tweet that I had sent out uh, about a friend of mine. It was Dane Fife who played at Indiana, myself and an, a mutual friend of ours. We, we were going back and forth. There wasn't anything sexist, wasn't anything racist. Wasn't anything, anything political. And I, I get a tweet from or tech call from Norby, like the vice president of ESPN saying, hey, what did you mean by this on a tweet? And I told him, hey, I go, what did you think I meant by that on a tweet? And he told me and it was something ridiculous. And I'm like, dude, I can't help you. I mean, you guys can scour my tweets, but I just looked at Sarah Spain and she's dropping F-bombs uh, and getting political. So there is a double standard. Look. Uh, do you remember the what the tweet I was? was funny was what, what was the tweet, Dan? Do you remember what it was about? I can't. It, no, it was about it was about basketball, and this guy Clapper didn't. I can't remember. I, I used a I can't even remember. It's an acronym that they thought meant something about oral sex, and it was something about an inside joke between the three of us. This guy not knowing anything about basketball, but he thinks he does. He's one of those guys that's an Indiana basketball expert. And Fife and I make fun of them. But they, they reference it towards oral sex, and I can't remember. And I'm like, no, but I will use that the next time. I, I, I'll text my wife that. <laughs> you know, um, you know Norby's text. But no, there's a double standard. There's always been a double standard. That's why it was idiot, idiotic to listen to Stephen A. Smith talk about black people or white people get a cold, black people get pneumonia. Well, I got to tell you, a bunch of white dudes... Uh, got pneumonia from The Athletic and from ESPN, certainly, over the last couple of weeks. So it's all nonsense. You laugh about it, and then you move on because you know there's a double standard there. Hey, Dylan Brooks is laughing right now, too. Uh, he got paid by the Houston Rockets, and there, there were a lot of Internet jokes, Dan, after he went at LeBron James and he brought back a nub in that series, and the Grizzlies got nothing done. And I was the first one to make fun of him for going after him and then not being able to back it up. But there always seems to be a place for a player like Dylan Brooks that is just the ultimate pest, that is a good defender, that will get after people, and the Rockets are showing that with a huge payday for Brooks. Yeah, and it's always the same teams that pay overpriced for players that aren't going to help them win a whole lot. That's that seems also true. To be the Rockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, man. And no place better than the NBA and no place better than the Rockets. You know, the Clippers used to lead the league in that. And in fact, maybe they still do with Paul George because that's the most ridiculous human being playing basketball. That's the most just uh, I can't even get into how stupid Paul George is. But hey, Dylan Brooks, he, he's a pest. He's tough. He doesn't back down. Uh, the Rockets, I guess, are trying to rebuild. And they gave the guy $20 million a year. I don't begrudge Dylan Brooks at all. Look. We all know this about the NBA. Let's make no mistakes. I think I've talked about it on our show. Brad Stevens and I were having a conversation after he was in year two in the NBA. And I said, tell me what you learned most about the NBA. He goes, I got to tell you. He goes, there's about 15 to 20 superstars, true superstars in the league. Everybody else is a role player. But if you're, 
if you do a role player and you do it right, you can make the Hall of Fame. You can make hundreds of millions of dollars. You can make numerous all-star teams. Uh, and Dylan Brooks is a role player, and you're right. We had him here. We had Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson could not play anywhere else, but he could play here, and we kept bringing him back to the Pacers because he wasn't afraid to go up against LeBron James when LeBron James was with the Cavaliers. He was a past. He blew in his ear. It's, you know, it's kind of famous. So, look, I don't begrudge anybody, anytime, any way for figuring out a way to stay in the league. Is he a great player? No. But he's a guy that'll get after you. He's a guy that's tough. He's a guy that'll defend. He's a guy that doesn't need the ball. I think Windhorse called him uh, Diet Draymond, and he's right. Uh, but you know what? The dude is still going to be in the league, and he'll be in the league for a long, long time. But Houston has a tendency to give contracts to guys that aren't necessarily going to help them win. But they're nice contracts for everybody except the team. Dan, I've long wanted to ask you this since NIL has really become a big thing. Just a hypothetical. If you're coaching a major college basketball program today and the following happens to you with a guy that you recruited, that you really like, that's doing everything that you ask of him on the court, off the court, and he's a good player that helps you win. And he comes to you one offseason and he says, hey, I got a buddy who's at this program and he's making $200,000 more a year than I am in NIL. I'd really like to find a way to make that here because I'm hearing through back channels, this and that, that I can make even a lot more than that by transferring somewhere else. What would your approach to NIL be with, with boosters of that program, with a collective, with anyone, anyone else, and what would you say to that player who came to you and said, hey, coach, I really want to stay here, but can you help me with someone get a little bit more money or get some money in NIL in order for me to stay because I feel like I shouldn't pass up this opportunity to make a lot more money. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've evolved. I was America's most sanctimonious. Working for Bob Knight, I never broke a rule. Not one single time in my life. Went to West Virginia, stayed there eight days as the head coach. They were going to be nonsensical. They threatened my wife and I. I left. Went back to Indiana, became the head coach, interim head coach. I should have let a bunch of drug-doing clowns do drugs. Would have won games. I'd have had it. I've gone full circle. I'm going to tell you exactly what I would do. I'd cheat my ass off. I'd cheat it so hard. I would cheat that rule so hard. I would get more money in NIL. I would pay this kid, and I wouldn't give a rat's ass. Uh, my days of being sanctimonious are over. My days of caring about anybody's education are over. My days of caring about anything other than winning are over. And I'm being totally honest about it. I thought it mattered to graduate every kid, which I did. I thought it mattered to raise $9 million at Bowling Green so they have a beautiful new facility. I learned, and I'm totally honest, my goal in life is to win the NCAA championship and drop a big bag of cash right at half court on the stage. I was talking to uh, Fran Frasilla and Seth Greenberg about that. That's my goal in life. It's not going to happen, but that's my goal. There is no cheating right now. So what I would do with the kid was say, give me – uh, give me 72 hours. I'm going to try to find you the money. If he's a decent dude, if he's a pain in the ass and he's not going to help me win, then I'd get rid of him. But if he's a good dude and I know I can win, and I mean win big, then I would do everything in my power to get him the money. Hey, look, I would, I would treat it. Urban Meyer told me 
we're having a conversation. We used to have, he would have his players over. We lived right next to each other, right behind each other at Bowling Green, both our first coaching jobs. He would have his players over. I would have my players over. We treated them great. We had barbecues. We tried to get to know them, blah, 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 blah. Hell, they all quit. I would not do any of that. This would be Nick Saban. This would be a business. This would be, this is what we're going to do. A machine. I'm going to get you your money. I'm going to get you as much as you can, and that's it. I don't want to know who your mother is. I don't give a damn who your father is, your aunt, your uncle. That's it. This is a business. You are here. You guys say it's a business. I'm going to pay you like it's a business. If you don't perform, I'm going to get rid of your ass, but I am going to pay you like you are a high-end professional, which you are, and I'll let your mommy and daddy and the guidance counselor worry about education. Well, Dan, isn't that exactly what isn't that exactly what the NCAA is saying with their ruling on LSU that they're just going back and they're vacating the wins of less miles from the player who is ineligible, and they basically allowed LSU to sit there and just thumb their nose at them by continuing to employ Will Wade when the guy's on an FBI wiretap talking about a strong ass offer, and he continued to win games. They went to NCAA tournaments after that. And they really get nothing in the long run moving forward. So I think everything you just said was basically confirmed by the NCAA saying the message here is do whatever you can to get the best possible players and win at the highest level. And, and what I just said about Nick Saban. Nick Saban's players smacked a woman on the field yes. for no reason whatsoever. Just smacked her. Did he miss a game? Did he miss a snap? Hell no. Didn't miss nothing. Uh, the Alabama basketball coach, his player brings a gun. Did he miss a game? Did he? Nothing. That's what I'm saying. And nobody cares. Why? If you win. Now, I don't know. I have immense Catholic guilt. I don't know if I could stomach doing what I just said. I may have been all bluster there. But you, to your point about LSU, they fired the athletic director, Chad, before they fired the coach. Nick Saban is a god. But nobody cares. Because his egg slapped a woman. The guy who had eight bazillion pounds of weed driving in his car just got reinstated. And there was something else. He's back for I, summer the, workouts, the Dan, fallacy. that guy was. He was back for summer workouts, right. the Alabama player you're talking about. Tony Mitchell? Let me tell you something. Yes. The biggest fraud in sports are coaches. Football coaches are the biggest frauds. I've told every foot. You guys, are the, you wear your little suit and tie, right? And you get up there on, it's game week. Damn it, it's game week. We're going to be blah, 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 blah. We're developing men. The bigger fraud is the NFL or football trying to compare itself to the military. Oh, yeah, okay, right. But anyway, so these fraud-ass football coaches get up there, right? This actually doesn't happen in basketball. These fraud football coaches get up there and talk about, we're developing men. And I got all my buddies that say, I played for a great man in Woody Hayes or whoever. Yeah, okay, pull this and it plays Jingle Bells. Let me tell you what football coaches are doing. The minute they're done, the minute they're done with their little press conference in their little suit talking like the idiots that they are, here's what they're doing. They're on the phone trying to convince a 16- or 17-year-old to back out of a commitment to another school. It's called flipping a recruit. Really? You're all about teaching men and raising men and integrity. Hey, wait a second. I got to call Slappy Johnny's grade school coach to get him to get out of a commitment that he made. Look, it's all complete crap. 
It is complete and utter garbage. Hugh Freeze is calling hookers for crying out loud. And he's a religious guy that people take serious. Just stop all of it. Stop all of it. The whole world should go to the NFL, Bill Belichick mode of, I don't give a rat's what you've done. Just win the damn game. When Saban's Saban's got his little statue there and he's pointing at Alabama, yeah, I got to tell you, if I was the girl's father of the dude that that Jameson guy smacked, I'd go smack the living shit out of, oh, I'm sorry, the living hell out of Nick Saban. I'd go smack him right in the head. And then let's see how tough all these tough guys are. Biggest frauds in sports, these football coaches, and I love them. Slappy Johnny, though, I, do, I hear he's got a great 40 time. So to be, to be fair, you know, that you really hey. want him. He's one of the fastest guys yeah. in the country. That Slappy Johnny is a five-star <laughs> prospect. Dan Dockich always has five-star yeah. opinions. Dan, thanks so much, man. Get, get back after the lake. Peace or out. Or you're going to next. Continue that 4th of July vacation. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Oh, you thanks, know Dan. I'm in. I'm in. Thanks, guys. See you later. Never short of opinions, Merrill. Never short of opinions, that Dan Dockich. Big thanks to him for joining us on the show. We'll break down some of that. I, I bet Merrill has played for some guys, or at least one guy, that he would say is not a fraud. We may talk about that at some point. Plus, primary complaint. That's all coming up next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on the Outkick Network. We're back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Hutton not here. Withrow, that's me. I'm here. On this Wednesday afternoon, Merrill Hodge, our special guest, co-host in studio with us today, having a great time. Merrill, of course, uh, former professional football player with the Pittsburgh Steelers, with the Chicago Bears, longtime ESPN analyst. He's an author. He's a man of many talents, and he is lending those talents to us today on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, talking about all the issues. We'll get to primary complaint here momentarily, but... Merrill, first, I wanted to get your reaction to Dan Dockage. I know you guys were there at the same time, maybe for a year or two, uh, at ESPN yeah. when he was covering college basketball. Uh, Dan is not short on opinions, and he has gone off on basketball coaches in the past, too, acting sanctimonious and being anything but, but saying that you know all football coaches he knows are frauds. Um, what did you think about mm-hmm. that? I know you played for at least one guy that I'm con- guessing you would not consider a fraud. Well, the, the one coach that he was – football coach he was using as a reference, I would agree. Yeah, Hugh mean, Freeze. Um, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh. They were neighbors. Oh, Urban Meyer. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, no, look. So, he, I, I, I mean, I, I, no, if, that, he, if that's your, your evidence, I'm, I, I, I can see why you say it's Mayor, a fraud. first off, shake my hand on this one because exactly. I agree with you. Urban he, is a fraud, uh, he, and I've the, told Dan that. Dan disagrees. He's the one – he thinks Urban is the pure one because <laughs> they used to share uh, hot yeah, dogs yeah, together yeah. at tailgate. So, yeah, yeah. so um, he's biased. Yeah, he's a little biased so on using Urban him, Meyer. He, he does love Urban Meyer, though. I, I disagree Urban, on that. Well, when he was saying Urban Meyer, I was like, well, that's that's your evidence. Yeah. Um, then I can see exactly why you would say that. Um, now, that being said. They're um, buddies, though, so I, like, right. I, I get it. So you know, If that's I was the a neighbor one. with someone, see, I was their friend, I'd defend them also. You can't say everybody and then say except Urban Meyer. Everybody's everybody. Yeah. Okay, that's yep. – anyway. Um Obviously, listen, I, I played for two Hall of Famers, two of the greatest leaders in NFL history. Chuck Noll and Bill Cowher. Um, without like those examples, especially Chuck Noll, I played for him the longest. I wouldn't have half of the principles that um, I've built my life around. Now, you talk about integrity. In fact, that's why he actually left the National Football League. One of the big reasons, um, free agency 
was starting to emerge. And um, I remember we were at the game, the last game at Three Rivers. Uh, they were playing, the, at the time, the Washington Redskins. And um, we're standing there, and I, you know, he'd been retired for a few years, and I asked him, I go, do you miss it? And he turned to me, and only Chuck Noll could do it like this. You know, he just he could put things in a in a concise in a few words, and just very very concise but very powerful. He he looked at me and he said, "I'm not a recruiter." And it just it hit me like Chuck Noll was about building through the draft, building people and keeping building. He wasn't about free agency and bringing people that had been coming over and losing guys. He was he was molding and building. Um, so he he knew he wouldn't. That's not the environment that he would have played well in. And I can actually use a college coach, uh, Jim Cutter, impacted my life. Dirk Cutter, you might remember that yep. name, who was my high school coach. Really? He, yes, he was my high school coach. Um, impacted me. Marvin Lewis, who was a linebacker coach when I got to Idaho State. Um, he had to have been young when he was yeah, your high yeah, school yeah, yeah. coach. He, because... he just graduated from college, and he, he was there my senior year. He was our offensive coordinator, and he was my basketball coach too. But I learned so much from Dirk Cutter um, and his dad, Dirk, uh, Jim Cutter, um, in college. I mean, listen, I always say that there's more good coaching, there's more bad coaching than good coaching, but and that's how you know when you get good coaching because you've had so many bad, bad coaches, coaches yeah. um, in your career. But those guys have been instrumental in not just developing me as football players, they've developed me more as a human being without that. And I do believe that sports are a great way to develop young people, give them a tool belt or life. Um, I completely disagree with Dan from that perspective. Now, Dan lives, though, you got to realize what environment he lives in, because I was going to ask him about the NIL, because I think basketball, that NIL world is a lot, is a lot more conducive to do what he's talking about, because in basketball, you're one and done anyway, most of the time, you know, all the good players, you you don't have to stay there for more than a year. And in in football, you do, you have to stay for, I I think it's a minimum of three, right? Um, I know it's two or three. But you can't – I mean, they used to – you have to stay for four years. Now, I think it's a minimum of two if I remember right. But you, you can't go to college football and play one year and leave. Yeah. You, you don't get that luxury. I, but you have to play three. I, I would also say this, though. Three years. About so it's a the, different uh, environment it, it, than basketball. Totally different. But, I mean, every year now – and we'll talk more NIL a little bit later with you because I do want to get your thoughts on this to a deeper level. Every college program is year-to-year. It's year-to-year free agency right. now. If you're good – you're going to have opportunities to go make money elsewhere, and you might leave or you might stay if you get paid there. So I, I also think to what Dan's saying, college sports in general at the highest level, it lends itself to being frauds or being forced to be frauds because you want to portray a public image that's different than what you probably have to do to play the game to get the best players. And I do think that's an issue. Now, the NFL, on the other hand, I believe a John Madden or a Chuck Knoll or some of these guys you've heard about as truly great guys that cared about their players and did things the right way. I think that that sport can lend itself to more of that because there is a lack of the recruiting angle and sort of the slimy underbelly of college football. Let's oh, yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. You don't, so you don't have to be that way in the NFL no, no, as no, much. No, no, it's, it's You can actually different. care about your it's players. Com- it's completely different. And listen, you're talking about where's the majority of athletes ages 8 to 18. Okay, they're not even in college. Like he's talking about another environment that is just, you know, a small percentage get to play college football. Where can you have your greatest impact, which I've always been most passionate about, it's 8 to 18. That is the greatest environment um, to help build resiliency. And by the way, that's where you find most of the non-frauds. When you talk about great coaching, oh, I listen, think about high school coaches I've met, sure. working with them in the past, ones that I had. 
those are the ones that right. are frauds. You know, you're missing. You know, Dan's in a little square box. You know, being angry and um, venomous about about basketball yeah. in in with a small percentage of people. Yeah. Um, the eight to eighteen is the bigger group. That's the one I've always been most passionate about. And actually, you help create sports, create environment to help build, give a give a kids a sanctuary, ability to build resiliency, build a tool belt that does permeate and transfer into your life's work. So this is the perfect segue yeah. into one of our weekly topics, one of our weekly segments. It is time. It's Wednesday, so that means it's time for primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. I'm indifferent to fireworks. Uh, This should not make me un-American, unpatriotic, any of those things. I just don't care. I feel like if you've seen one good firework display, you've seen them all. Members of my family went to great lengths. I even pitched in cash on the big fireworks display last night, and I watched probably half of it. I spent most of the time inside with my three-year-old because she didn't like the noise of it, and I don't feel like I really missed out on much. Something else, though, that I did not miss out on was this smoke-infused atmosphere when you walk outside after a big fireworks display. The entire 45-minute drive home from my family's gathering to my house, I felt like I was driving through the remnants of a forest fire. This is maybe my least favorite thing about the 4th of July, is when you get that smoky haze in the air and you feel like you're inhaling sulfur for the next three days after the 4th of July. Again, if you want to have a fireworks display, I'm all for it. I'm not anti-fireworks, but I do hate the environment it creates post-fireworks, and that is my primary complaint. Well, my primary complaint is this mic, actually. Um, No, I'll get it. We got to get it. We got to get straight now. I'm going to get this thing figured out. Anyway, that'd be it. Hutton has a problem with that mic, too, I feel like. That mic gives me anxiety the way Hutton carries it the entire time. (laughs) So I can understand. Are we okay with it? Yeah, you're okay. All right. I actually have two. And the reason I have two is because when I was asked this, the immediate one actually just happened before I came over here. I travel a lot. So this will apply to a lot of people who travel, and there's going to be a lot of people who don't even get what I'm talking about. But you have specific hotels every time they clean your room. They happen, if you use the blow dryer, they wind it back up in a, in a way that you, it takes you almost, you almost have to have a, a doctorate to get it unwired again. But I'm like, why do, you, why do you put the dryer away? It's so, a, it takes so much time. You know somebody's going to use it again. They're not checking out. I mean, giving new towels and clean, making the bed. But why put the dryer away? Just leave it plugged in and lay in there. That one. And then the other one. Um, I don't know if you've been to any grocery store, stores in general, and they want you to round up. You know, let's say it's $6.35. Would you like to round up? I got asked that, and I was like, no, but I'll round down. And she looked at me like I had three heads. And I'm like, was it oh, for charity? To round no. up for like a they charity? Don't they, don't they don't even tell you. They're like, you uh, want to round up? I'm like, well, wait a minute. What you, if you can round up, you surely got to be able to round down. Why don't you just let me round down? Oh, we can't do that. Well, what do you mean? Can't do that. Yeah. Why are you rounding up? <laughs> The roundup part. I don't... Um, what you should say I, next time, if they want you to round up for charity, just tell them, no, what I want you to do is take my entire purchase and give that to the charity. <laughs> I think you guys are making enough money. So what I'd like for you to do is I'd like to take no, 90% no, 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 no. of my $200 grocery bill, 
you take that and give that money to charity because yeah. you guys have made enough in this. That's what you do next. Davey Hudson with his primary uh, complaint. Merrill, real quick on that. Uh, I'll save the story for another time, but just speaking of rounding up, I wasn't even asked if I wanted to round up on Monday. I actually was running a little late, and this gas station was also very crowded. My total came out to $6.66. The cashier didn't like that, so she charged me for a piece of candy to make the total go up 38 cents more just so that bad juju wasn't out there. And to quote Michael Stish- or Michael. Uh, Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. And by the way, that's crazy. They should go down on that. When you told me this story, I'm thinking, really? Who does that? Yeah, I mean, if you want it, fine. If you don't want the mark of the beast Have on your <laughs> gas payment or whatever you're getting, not for six sixty six, not doing I've, that. I've but at least, go down yeah, then. Take something yeah. away if you want to do that. I've at least gotten to the point in life to where thirty eight cents isn't going to bother me. I just thought it was interesting. I'd never seen that. Yeah. But my actual primary complaint is is something that I, I I'm upset with myself about. Because I've officially become the person I did not want to become. Uh, this past weekend, obviously, with 4th of July, hanging out on the lake. My parents, uh, they live in a cove, and there was a kid coming through on a jet ski. I mean, that guy was going at least 50 in the cove. If he would have wrecked or just hit a wave wrong, it probably would have killed him. And so I'm now the guy that yells at the kid. Not only did I yell at the kid, <laughs> I knew which doc he was going to and I knew who his grandfather was so I made sure when his grandfather next time I saw him I called him over and then just started going off on his grandson so I I made sure not to just let the kid have it I let the grandfather have it too and I was like listen to to make this about me which I'm I'm the best at I had LASIK over the last week so it's like if he would have wrecked and I'm the only one out there that was seeing him it's like I'm having to put myself in jeopardy where I'm not supposed to get lake water or pool water in my eyes I don't know (laughs) if I would have risked my own vision to save that kid on the off chance things did go sideways but that is my primary complaint. See, Davey, I love that, by the way. That means you're evolving. There's nothing wrong with that, that yeah. you've matured a little bit, and you're, you're saying that to kids. I, I'm kind of half in, half out. With small children in the neighborhood, I will occasionally look at the high school kids and like gesture for them to slow down in the neighborhood when they're driving too fast. But I also hate the person that is in constant slowdown mode because I'll be driving through the neighborhood maybe three miles over the speed limit and there are people who see any car, and they are disgusted by the look of that car, and they're just automatically tell, yelling at them, telling them to slow down. And I just stop and stare at the people in my neighborhood who will do that constantly, thinking, I'm not going fa- I almost want to back up and not have road rage, okay, but just have a conversation you with you, them and say, you got radar on you? Yeah, or did, did you need me for something? Right. That's usually my first response was, oh, I'm sorry, well, were you waving me down for a reason? I, I think that both of you guys, it, it is. I think everybody – experiences that you know like when you're driving and somebody's faster going faster than you you're like you crazy why are you such in a hurry but yep. when you're going fast yeah. this guy it's like, yeah he's gonna get out of the way or like somebody's driving 50 miles an hour on the highway getting 65 and you're like are you kidding me <laughs> i've never had a huge problem with someone going fast on a on a jet ski so that that's new yeah well I, I do understand the, uh, the concept of a jet ski they do not have brakes and that is the one thing that kids he, he at least had a life so. jacket on. I'll give him credit for that. Well, but. Yeah. you got that. But when you hit a dock going that fast, that's what yeah, young kids don't realize. You don't have a brake. Yeah, that's not good. On a jet ski, that's the one thing you don't have. Jet no ski brakes. guy. Jet ski guy was in full force over yeah. the 4th of July uh, long weekend. There's uh, no doubt about it. I saw multiple videos from people on Instagram riding the jet ski. Had the cell phone out, riding the jet ski the entire time. There's plenty to get into, by the way. We got a lot more coming on the show. Clay Travis is going to join us coming up. Also, in the next segment, I want to talk about Pat McAfee. He's getting blamed uh, 
for the ESPN layoffs, for the cuts, for the people getting fired. They're saying, how are you and your team making this much money and they can't afford to keep everyone else? He responded to that. We will respond to him and also talk about Foster Moreau, his battle with cancer and playing the NFL. That's coming up next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow.